This episode of the Local Hustlers podcast is brought to you by Audible. If you're listening to this podcast right now, then I'm going to assume that you would also enjoy listening to audiobooks. Whether you're interested in business, history, comedy, science fiction, or romance, Audible has thousands of titles for you to choose from. We want you to try out Audible for free, so if you head to our link, you'll get a 30-day free trial and a free book. So go to audibletrial.com slash localhustlerspodcast to redeem your trial today. Again, that's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, trial.com slash localhustlerspodcast. You're listening to the Local Hustlers Podcast, your go-to source for connecting with small businesses and entrepreneurs in the East Valley. Get ready to be inspired by local entrepreneurs as they share their stories, mindset, best tips, and advice. And now, your co-hosts, Dallin and Eric Huso. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Local Hustlers Podcast. This week, we're super excited to be here with Cole Pierce with Baker's Travertine Power Clean. How's it going, Cole? It's uh, another wonderful day in the valley. Right? Yes, uh, it is. Glad be. to have you here. Thanks. I uh, appreciate you having me on. It's the first podcast, so it's pretty cool. Nice, nice. Take a few minutes and give us a little bit of a background on your life. Okay. Uh, I'll try to keep the, the brief version. Uh, military <laughs> veteran, uh, one of the post-9-11 guys, seven years oh, wow. in the Air Force. Um, worked out the NSA, my first duty station, um, second duty station wound up in Tucson, down Davis Monthan. So that's how I ended up in Arizona. And, um, after that, uh, second deployment to Iraq, I, uh, got on with a contractor over there, got out of the military, went back to Baghdad to contract and opened the door to the world of defense contracting where I spent, uh, 40 years old now, I spent 12 years of my life in war zones. So, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And uh, got to the point where I had enough and time to go into small business. What was it like uh, being there as a as a member of the military as opposed to being a civilian? Like, what what were the major differences <laughs> for you? Man, there's a lot of differences. Uh, you know, in the military, uh, you know, it's like you're trained. Everything is just uh, you know, dress right, dress. Here's the rules. Here's what we're going to do. It's how it's going to be done. Um, there's a little bit coming back as a civilian, especially just a turn and burn like I did coming back so fast. Um, it's a weird situation, but you really, you kind of feel like a second class citizen, which is weird um, because there is a little bit of jealousy amongst the, the green suitors who, especially if you're a younger guy, like I was at the time I was 27. Um, so I went back there making significant amount of money more than what I did while I was in the military. And there's, career guys that are looking at a young kid saying, Hey, why is he making that much money? Um, but then again, I don't have a pension. I don't have the insurance I'm risking my life and I'm bringing a very specific piece to the puzzle with my experiences and my talents yeah. just to do that specific job. So yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird deal. Like you're, especially the time that I was back there, my first contract in Baghdad, um, the Blackwater stuff, you know, it happened I was on a on a tactical team going on missions as a contractor, um, so we were armed. We were actually going out on raids. It was we're doing an exploitation mission, looking for like explosives and bomb makers and stuff like that. So um, it was a very interesting time, and that stuff really, you know, in that scale, that capacity ended shortly after that. You didn't see much of that kind of stuff anymore. Wow. Uh, well, thank you for your service, first of all. Yeah, um, thank you very much. Did you have family that was in the military before you, or what made you decide to to take that path in life? Um, it was a weird thing. Um, a lot of family in the military, okay. aunts, 
uh, uncle, my dad, his, you know, a couple, uh, a couple uncles actually, um, mainly Navy and Army. Uh, okay. Nobody had been in the Marines, nobody had been in the Air Force, and uh, 9-11 happened. And I was working at a Ford dealership at the time, and I was just kind of like, wow, this is kind of a big calling. Like, I remember having lunch with my dad that day after Washington Towers come down saying, you know, are we going to war? And he was like, yeah, it's a possibility. This is a pretty big thing. And uh, I just felt like I needed to do my part, um, finished out my semester of college, was in delayed entry program, enlisted, and uh, March 5th, I shipped out. Wow. So so maybe not planning on it before that, but after that event? It, really... Yeah, it was weird as a kid. Like, I, I loved that stuff. You know, G.I. Joe, and I was all about it. And <laughs> yeah. then once, once I got a little bit older in high school, you know, sports, and then the ideas of college and the normal traditional route, I guess. But, uh, you know, working in community college, and I wasn't thrilled what I saw with college. Um, so it was one of those things where it was like, you know what, military might be a better option right now. I don't, really don't know what I want to do anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, and I did, really didn't know what I wanted to do because I signed an open contract and in the air force, they have an open general contract you can sign. I went to basic training without a guaranteed job, which is a pretty risky thing. Cause you don't know where you could land. It's a big, it's a big air force. So, um, lucky, luckily for me, I did very well in my ASVAB and, um, I was offered a signals intelligence job and that's what I went into. And you briefly mentioned it, um, but if you want to talk a bit more about why you decided to go back again to Afghanistan after as a contractor. Yeah, so, uh, you know, why? So I'd never been to Afghanistan in uniform, went to Iraq twice. And then um, I had come off R&R and I was in Australia for about three weeks. So I took my R&R out there and I came back and my captain asked what I wanted to do. And I had ambitions of getting out and joining the army and go to special forces um, but I knew there was a couple contracting teams doing similar work on the exploitation side that we were doing. So I started entertaining like, well, you know, I've had seven years in the military at this point. I've been down range a few times. Um, maybe I'll take a look at doing this from a, a civilian side as a defense contractor. Cause I knew the pay was, you know, pay was great. And again, like I said, you can really hone in and do like your specific talent, what you want to do. And all the extra stuff like pulling guard duty and all these other things, you're a contractor, you're not there for that stuff. Um, so I was very intrigued by that. And my captain said, hey, their program manager's in my office. Do you want to talk to him? So I walked in. I talked to a gentleman who uh, used to be uh, with SEAL Team 6 mm-hmm. and an uh, older retired gentleman. And um, talked to him for about 10 minutes. He goes, yeah, we'll hire you. We need an intel guy. And uh, yeah, that was Pretty much it. I uh, finished out my time, came back, I ETSed, and then uh, did a little bit of training over in Virginia, and then went back over. Wow. Yeah. So then the Afghanistan, to answer your full question there, um, that contract was four or five months of Iraq. IEDs were starting to pop up in Afghanistan. I had the option in Iraq, in Iraq to go to Afghanistan. They said, hey, who wants to go? We need you guys there. You'll be on a plane tonight. And I was like, well, is our contract getting renewed here? Because, you know, I know this AO, this is kind of where I want to stay. My program manager thought it was. I took his word. I'm new to contracting. I don't know. And then within uh, two weeks, I kind of lost my job because the whole program got shut down. (laughs) Um, So I ended up back in Tucson, stuff in storage, you know, crashing couches, got some money in the bank account and uh, moved up here to Ahwatukee and kind of hung out for the summer and had a good time took a little breather, but then, you know, it was like, wow, first time being unemployed since I was like 
18 years old yeah. and you know you're watching your bank account go down go down <laughs> go down like well i should probably get a job again you know kind of need one of those as a as an mm-hmm. adult and then i uh, started looking into the afghan options and uh yeah that's how that happened you know january 2010 landed another contract and boom i was gone and so what led you after coming back home to wanting to start a business wanting to become a business owner <laughs> um so I, a good friend of mine that I was in a, at my unit in Hawaii, um, still a great friend today. I'm actually staying at his house right now, moving out tonight because I got the lease down here for a new place. I sold my house in Vegas. Okay. Um, he, when he left the Air Force, he owned a couple coffee shops and he some good success with that. Um, he was always wanting to work for himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at this point I had done a lot of stuff as far as active duty military and then contracting, I saw a lot of the government. I did a lot of, you know, the stuff behind the scenes with the government, like contracts and dealing with like GS-15s and SESs that are back in the States that are funding programs and all the red tape and bureaucracy. And it just got to a point where it wasn't as fun as it used to be. That yeah. was part of it. Um, obviously, burnout from Iraq and Afghanistan. For sure. Um, but in 2017, when I started this arm, getting all these tattoos... My tattoo artist in Las Vegas on the Strip, it turns out we were from the same area of Florida. We knew some mutual people. We opened a tattoo shop in Scottsdale in 2017. So that was my first business. But, you know, it was more of like me planning from outside. Alec was here. Justin was here. We were doing a lot of that stuff, setting it up. You know, I'm pumping a lot of money into it. And I was here when we found the spot. We signed a lease, but I was gone. And, um, so coming back in 2020 tattoo shops, wildly successful is doing great. Um, but I'm not a tattoo artist it's not like I can just go in there and work and make money. Right. Um, so I was like, oh, I need to find something now for myself that I can work in a nine to five. And, um, during COVID, you know, a lot of time laying around on the couch, a lot of ideas like, okay, what are we going to do? And I had another um, friend that, uh, he followed I won't say he followed. He was looking at doing it before I was. He purchased the gutter business down in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, so we had already been talking about these ideas of like, hey, a service-based industry, blue collar, you know, just, you know, here's what people want. You give them a great service and everybody's happy and it's very cut and dry, you know, no more paperwork and huge companies and all, all the, you know, corporate stuff. So that's kind of what uh, led me into it. So you you purchased the business, correct? Yes, uh, me and my partner. Um, the guy I was telling you about Mike Bolo. Uh, we worked in Afghanistan together. Um, he was on a contract that I used to be on because uh, my time in Afghanistan I changed contracts a few times. My roles changed a few times while I was there. Uh, so we worked in the same unit over there. And um, then I was on a contract that I used to be on that he was on. I came back to it when we got to back in the states. We were working, you know, from home. Yeah. He wasn't working in Hawaii, though, and I was supposed to back film in Hawaii. And he was just telling me, he's like, hey, it's uh, it's not that great out here. <laughs> I don't think you want to come out here. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, I was stationed out there for three years, and I kind of, I know where you're at. So, yeah, it might not be the best. And, uh, you know, he knows about the tattoo shop. He saw me, you know, at a distance being in Afghanistan, you know, after work, dealing with tattoo shop stuff online and calling guys late at night, making sure stuff is working right. Mm-hmm. Um but he saw it go from like, you know, a lot of stress to something that was really good. Um, so I was telling him like, you know, what do you think about just buying a business? You want to partner up and buy something? 
and then we can both we can make a clean break from DOD because mm-hmm. you know he had a background. He was a Marine Corps helicopter pilot. You know, flew all over Iraq. You know, medevac missions, and um, so he went from that into contracting as well. He had a little break in between where he did some stuff Silicon Valley and and the Bay Area. Um, but he, he was again. He was trying to find a home too. Try, mm-hmm. We're both trying to find a place that would really fit in where we want to be that we can control our own destiny because again the military can be like that's broke that should be fixed but if you don't have the rank or the power to fix it you can't do anything Mm -hmm. um where at least with this we're like you know you buy a small company and you go all right well this needs to be changed you want to change it yeah okay let's change it and that's that's super rewarding that's great Cole, you've touched on your desire to get into the service-based industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't mind going into a little more detail of why you chose to buy versus start your own service-based company. And then uh, as you decided to buy, uh, what were the kind of the steps to lock in on the business that you did buy? Yeah, so uh, I've gone through the startup thing with the tattoo shop and... It's one of those things where if you, like Justin, my partner in that, he's a great artist. Like, you know, I know the guy would succeed. He's a hard worker. He's dedicated. Um, And, you know, he brought a lot of good artists with him from Las Vegas. But still, you know, he didn't have clientele here. So that that startup is rough, you know, just getting the marketing right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you're throwing a lot of money at it. And you're just going, man, this thing has to go. Six, seven months in, marketing's still not right. It's not looking the best. Uh, but then we started to figure it out and really turn that corner. So having been through that before, um, looking at some of the deals that the SBA had, you know, to come in and, and buy a business and you look, interest rates, you look how they are and money yeah. down required. There's some really nice SBA options out there. Um, so I told Mike, I was like, look, you know, let's find something established that, you know, is a good money maker. Maybe it's somebody that wants to retire and move on from that. They're ready for something new. We can come in and optimize it, you know, take it to the next level. So that's kind of the thought behind it. Um, so the the basic steps of that was to get on biz, buy, sell, um, businessmart.com. Both of those start scanning businesses. And this is an area where I probably should have reached out to my friend, the one that bought the business in Jacksonville, that actually he bought it after we bought this one. Um, but he was working with some guys that he graduated from Georgetown with that went down to Jacksonville, Florida and did similar stuff, landscaping companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and those guys, you know, they already had everything to filter out businesses, whatever would, you know, fit the parameters that they were looking right, for. Right. So our scouting could have been a little better. Um, but we had a good, we had a good tight list, um, based on multipliers and earnings after, you know, you start to sign non-disclosures and looking through these lists of businesses and like, okay, this, these 10 look really good. Here's my number one right now and, and go from there. But then you start to really dig into some of these businesses and, uh, the NDA, you know, you're supposed to get all the tax information and then you start to get some of it and you're like, um, Hey, where's the tax information for this business? I'm like, oh, this guy hasn't file taxes in four years like, <laughs> well that's a problem he goes well he'll have it next week and then you get that and you look at it and you go uh there's zero cost for labor so how does that work he's got seven employees but he didn't pay any labor like uh it seems like the numbers might be off well he's only got five employees well with the ad says he's got seven so that due diligence period is for is, sure is really something to, to get into and um we just kept going down the list until we found one we really liked and we're like okay 
this, um, you know, get the stuff over to the CPA, let him look at the numbers. He says it looks solid. Met with the business owner and his wife. And, uh, you know, this one had been operating for 33 years. So I was like, okay, they, they took this. They were the startup, you know, the one, two, three man show that built it into what it is. You know, 10, at the time we took it over, um, 10 employees. So... Anything else? I love how you mentioned the due diligence uh, period and how important that is. You mentioned looking at the taxes, making sure things line mm-hmm. up, like the number of employees on the adverse, what they actually had. Anything else that's important to look at when you are you know, looking at quite a few different businesses and trying to decide which one to get? Yeah, um, I would uh, highly recommend a business lawyer. Okay. Um, look not only through um, the contract that's being signed, um, but have him with his opinions. Um, that, that's really important. Um, cause you might, there's some, there's always things that can go wrong in these types of transactions. And sure. unfortunately we had some things go wrong, which now we're going through the legalities of all that stuff. And it's, it's not fun. It shouldn't have been that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, when somebody's trying to present something and wrap it up into a nice pretty box to sell it to you, like, especially in a deal like this where you know, due diligence time frame. you have what the business broker gives you, you meet with them, you look at tax returns. Um, there's still a lot going on and we miss some stuff. We miss some stuff we probably should have saw, but, um, you know, it is what it is. This first time that we were going through. Right. And, right. And you just, re- you, if any, I mean, you can see it in big business, right? You know, big mergers happen and then there's lawsuits after because things were promised that weren't delivered <laughs> on. Um, so it happens all across the board. So, this is, um, I would say, yeah, you just get a business lawyer involved to really go through contracts and look at what's being promised and then make sure it's followed up after the sale because um, that's what, what happened to us a lot. We had a lot of promises that weren't kept up. And it sounds like if you had a business lawyer, maybe you could have avoided some of those issues. You know, um, I think we might have caught one or two, maybe. Yeah. Um, but this thing is such a such an unraveling ball of yarn. Um, that, you know, it's, it, we've had this business for eight months and we're still finding things. So it's just like, it, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could get into more, but you know, ongoing, so I can't really <laughs> do all that for stuff. Sure. But, but yeah, it's, uh, and that, and that's the hard thing too, a small business, you know, companies less than $5 million that are, you know, run out of their home. Um, yeah, things are, it's, it's different, you know, it's not like a, a big corporate $10 million real estate company where, you know, business lawyer like, yeah, I see this all the time or, oh yeah, I've been in these transactions before. I know what this should look like. Um, I mean, this is a very niche business um, with a lot of specialty behind it. So again, Mike and I didn't really have that background in stone. We're coming into as businessmen, you know, he has a finance degree, already had the tattoo shop experience. We're coming in as businessmen to optimize it and say, Hey, we have these professionals here that do a great job. Guys been with the company for, uh, 14, 17, 19 years. And, um, you know, they know what's up, you know, we talk to them and they'll teach us as we go more of the the actual hands-on part of the business, Mm -hmm. but we're here to clean up that back end, which is really where a lot of the mess occurs with small business and the mom and pop stuff is the back end because, you know, the accounting gets sloppy and, you know, some things get a little out of line, like, hey, that's kind of a gray area. You should be sure. doing that. 
Yeah, I would love to dive into that a little bit because um, you mentioned optimizing a few times. If there was a few mm-hmm. particular things you saw with the business and, and what you've kind of done um, over this past year or so to kind of make little tweaks and changes here and there that have really helped the business. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, in business, you can't be afraid to reinvest. Um, you know, so if you look at a company that makes, you know, the income is really nice on it, um, there's profits there, you know, you, you have to reinvest that into your equipment. I mean, first off, and your people, people and equipment, right? And this is the, the bread and butter of it. Your guys can't do the job if they don't have the equipment that works. And if you're not taking care of your guys, well, good luck retaining quality guys. Um, so we came in and we, the, trucks were, the trucks were pretty bad. Everything's over 230,000 miles. Um, and, you know, you start to look at well, what does it cost me to have a crew that breaks down and can't get out the door for the day and I lose that job that was on the calendar for the last two weeks or a month. So, you know, bit the bullet, brand new trucks right off the get-go. So now dependable rides. Foremen don't have to worry about starting the truck in the morning. Like, is it going to turn over? You know, we talked to clients who in the past have used the company and, you know, the truck wouldn't start at the end of the day and they're stuck in the driveway and they're trying to get home. So, you know, and it's a bad look. Um, you're trying to go into, you know, you're providing, like I said, a niche service where you're working on really expensive flooring, you know, whether it's marble or travertine or limestone, these beautiful homes. And you're, you have the guys that have the talent to do this amazing job, but they're rolling up in a truck with 230,000 miles and it's breaking down the driveway afterwards. It's not a good look, you know? <laughs> um, so clean that stuff up, um, give the guys raises, you know, so these guys need a raises. Um, they just weren't making what they should have been. And then, uh, you know, benefits. Um, we had a good benefits package at the time. Benefits weren't offered to everyone. We, we were able to offer them to everybody, health insurance. So we just wrapped that up recently. Got a lot of stuff finalized. That was a big learning experience too. Luckily, a customer that we had um, happens to be an independent insurance guy. Started talking to him like, well, I'd love to get insurance going for the guys. And that conversation started and it worked out beautiful. So we are able to do that. Um, into more equipment, trailers. Um, but I would say one of the, the largest things that we did was, um, you know, I came, my final contract, I was a field service representative. And I was taking software and training Afghans how to put reporting into a centralized database that could be seen by the United States and coalition forces and stuff like that. So I understand the importance of databases and, you know, sharing information and being able to like get statistics and get data on demand to get an idea of of trends and analysis. And Mike was doing similar stuff. He was a operations research. So trends analysis. Um, So we were one of the issues again, from like a mom and pop basis is paper invoices. You know, an estimator goes out, writes an estimate for you. I'm going to come here to your house but we're booked up for the next month. So I'll see you in a month and one day. So now I have this invoice, like, or this estimate written up for your job. You're on the calendar. You put a deposit down. I need to put this somewhere. So I put in a pile over here and then the week of your job comes up. Now I'm digging through all this paperwork, trying to find yours, put on the schedule. And then I got to hand that off to the foreman. That's going to come to your house. And he has to read the handwriting and Maybe the estimate's like, what did he mean when he wrote that? So the foreman calls back to the owner and says, hey, you know, what did you mean when you wrote this? I can't really make that out. And he goes, where are you at? Oh, this house over here? I'm at Dolan's house. 
oh who who when was that because i mean you're doing so many estimates like that's yeah so long ago um so we were able to go in and get a um there's a couple different programs on the market and we got one called jobber and uh it's really good i like it um you're able to draw your estimates up digitally now everybody has access to that estimate on their phones on tablets you can take these quotes you can turn them into jobs um so that stuff's really come together nice and you know it was a little bumpy in the beginning because you're taking paper and you're trying to put paper in the system and you're making the change the whole change over but once it's been in place it's been really good because now we can take photos the estimator can take photos yeah and the photos are attached to the customer and you can write notes like hey bedroom over here has a 20-foot crack that needs to be epoxied um you know there's huge scratches in the kitchen and now you can show the customer that too on their estimate like yeah, we've identified this stuff, which is also, it helps with liability because with scratches and stone, a lot of times they don't see scratches until you clean it. And when the floors are clean, they're like, oh, where'd those scratches come from? Like, well, they were there. They were dirty, though. You didn't see them. But they were there. Like, look at your, your estimate. We wrote some notes, and then mm-hmm. we were out there. We, we identified them. We saw them early. Like, oh, wow, I didn't even notice them before because it was so dirty. So... You know, jobber's great, um, but it does cost money. And a lot of these other things that you talked about mm-hmm. that you, you fix and optimize, there was a cost to that. Oh, yeah, there definitely uh, is. And so I just want to hear if you've seen the benefits on the revenue side of things from all those costs you've put in set yet, or if not, you know, what you're kind of expecting in terms of that. Yeah, um, it's what it is. I always have the motto, go ugly early. Um, I don't like bleeding slowly. Like if I, you know, we stepped in and like I said, the truck's pretty easily identifiable right off the bat. Like, you know, the mileage is high. I had one that they looked at. It's like, even if I need $3,000 worth of work, it's like the $8,000 truck. Like what's the cost benefit of keeping it, you know? So like, what can I get on a trade in, you know, start working that stuff out. So yeah, we, we, we went through a lot of money really fast. Um, And we also took the business from, again, being run out of a residence into an actual warehouse in Tempe. Um, so that was, that was big, you know, now the trucks and trailers are inside at night, all the equipment's inside. We got a full warehouse, all of our supplies and inventories. Um, but yeah, the, the money just, yeah, it was, it was a lot of quick, a lot up front very quickly. Um, but the great thing about that is again, we've had zero breakdowns with vehicles since we took over. Um, we've had machines go down, but we have a fourth machine on the trailer that's ready to go. So it's easy for me or my supply chain manager to grab a truck, machines down, I'll take another one out, I'll take the trailer in immediately to the shop, we'll get it fixed. Um, so yeah, just, you know, maintenance and stuff and staying on top of everything and making sure that stuff is right. And then, like I said, the human part, taking care of your guys, getting yeah. the insurances. You know, we got guys that, you know, in the past that they couldn't get a day off work to get, to get dental work done that they needed. Because really, we just we don't have time. We can't make that happen. Like, yeah, you can make that happen. That guy needs to get in. You know, take care of him. So, um, you know, guys that were were married and waiting to get on a honeymoon, and finally takes his honeymoon after we buy the company. Like, wait, weren't you married? He goes, yeah, we just never had time. That we weren't allowed. You know, didn't have the time off. Company company couldn't give us the time off. Well, that's crazy. Like, we can give you the time off. Take that vacation. That's awesome. So. And I wanted to talk a bit about that, you know, the aspect with the employees as well. With that transition, you know, a lot of these guys have worked for their previous boss for 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, was there like an initial hesitancy from them when you guys first took over? Or how did you kind of build that relationship? A- with them? Absolutely. There was a lot of hesitancy. And 
you know, the one I want to review is when you start to hear the stories about the way things used to be. Yeah. Then you can see it. You're like, oh, yeah, because, you know, uh, as, as one of the foremen mentioned, he said he had one foot on a ledge, one foot on a banana peel. Like, and he had been there for a long time. And um, we're just like, man, this guy was, you know, being outrageous to say, I'm out of here. Um, but these guys, you know, they were like, you know what? We'll sit tight. We know somebody's coming in here to buy it. And we'll see. We'll give them six months. We'll see how it goes. And um, the cool thing is, there is, you know, a lot of guys that have left this company over the years because they weren't happy with the way things were. Um, we've brought back four of those guys now. Wow. That, you know, they talk to a friend like, where you at? And I'm over at working at Baker's. And like, really? You're there? Like, no, no, it's a lot better now. Change ownership. And then those guys came back. So that, that was pretty cool. Wow. Do you find yourself spending more time cleaning your pool than you spend swimming in it? Then you need to get in touch with Flamingo Pools. Flamingo Pools is your go-to swimming pool maintenance and repair company in the East Valley. Whether it's weekly maintenance, repairs, green-to-cleans, or one-time cleanings, Flamingo Pools is there to take care of you. Here's a few things that makes Flamingo Pools stand out from the crowd. When you first sign up for service, they'll give you a free complimentary inspection of the pool to make sure everything is running smoothly. They'll also email you a service report with a picture attached after every visit so you know when your pool has been cleaned. They also offer a mineral treatment, which will keep your chemical levels down, allowing you to have a healthier bathing experience. At Flamingo Pools, they know that your pool was made to be enjoyed, so let them handle the rest. Check them out at azflamingopools.com or give them a call at 480-422-6013. Mention this podcast and get your first month of weekly maintenance free. That's azflamingopools.com and 480-422-6013. Sounds like you have a lot of uh, management and leadership skills. Um, Are those things that you learned in the military? Yeah, um, I'm weird on the leadership stuff. I think I was one of those guys where I never wanted to be a leader, but I always found that as the older I got, it just people would look at me and I would say, okay, we should probably do this, you know, and that kind of stuff kind of develops. Um, you know, military is huge on like leadership schools. And every time I go to one of those, I would just read the book and look at it and be like, ah, this is so stupid. <laughs> Use common sense, you know? You know, can you teach leadership? Yeah, you can. Um, I think some people just have it. I never wanted it. I feel like I have it. Um, so just kind of ran with that. The managing stuff, though, definitely can teach management. Management's constantly evolving. You know, it never stops. You never stop learning management from interpersonal skills of people um, to, you know, you know, statistically, you know, supply stuff of managing that supply chain. Well, supply chains right now is, is crazy as right. the world yeah. is, right? Um, we're ahead of it. I've got chemicals now for the next year. Um, you know, again, I'm coming out of pocket early, but prices are inflation. Prices are rising. Yeah. So I got locked in on prices of stuff that we need and I'm set for the next year now. I don't have to worry about that. That part's over. Huh. So I already planned for it. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, the management stuff, that was definitely, um, I didn't have that. The military gave me a lot of that. I was always a, you know, kind of OCD as far as planning goes as a kid and getting a little bit older. But yeah, the military, especially, you know, place like Iraq, when you run a small team and you're, you know, forced to pack up and go to a different part of the country and run operations and you got to make sure that you've got all your stuff with you, you know, and you got to manage these supplies and everything that you're using and bullets and, you know, whatever it may be, truck maintenance and yeah. So yeah, the management, uh, management side of the military was 
very beneficial. And the same for Mike. Mike was an officer. I was enlisted. Um, so, you know, he gets, you know, all the big officer schools and stuff. Mm. But, um, yeah, we, we, we've had this conversation many times that um, it's really cool how the military always says, we're setting you up for when you get out and you become a civilian. Everybody's like, yeah, 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 right, whatever. <laughs> but you're like, no, they really, there's really some big nuggets in there that yeah. they give you that are very helpful. And were you able to take, you mentioned uh, in the military how each person kind of had a niche responsibility, niche mm -hmm. talent and skill. Uh, and have you kind of taken that style of building your team with this new business where you're not only you know, putting people where their strengths are and everyone has their lane, but also building people and helping people have opportunities to upskill. Yeah, the, the, the building um, the building of talent is the big one that we're focusing on now. So it's around eight months that we've had it. And, um, you know, if you look at the average age of the company, it's, you know, in the 30s. A lot of guys have been here for a long time that know what they're doing. But some of these guys that came back recently a lot of younger guys that they like the work and they're like, yeah, it's, you know, this, this service is cool because, you know, again, take a $2 million house, right. And that has a beautiful floor in it, but the floor has been neglected for the last seven years. It might have, you know, animal stains on it. It's just super dirty. And you come into a job, you see what it is. And at the end of the day, you can make this $2 million house shine like it should. And you're like, wow, look at that floor. It's like a mirror finish. You know, see the light coming in, reflecting off of it. And the guys like that, you get job satisfaction. It's not like, you know, processing a loan. You're working at a bank and you're like, yeah, I'll process my seventh loan today. Like, <laughs> you know, it just, we're a mailman where it's this continual flow, but you don't see the person like open up their check they got in the mail. And they're like, yeah. oh, I've been waiting on this. This is the best thing in the world. So, um, yeah, that job satisfaction, the young guys love it, but we have to get their skills right. And um, that was one thing in the military. They constantly hammer you on training, and training never stops. And that's where, you know, I think a lot of people, when they're like, what does the military do? You guys aren't at war, but obviously the last 20 years we have been at war. But now, you know, that Afghanistan, Iraq are basically over. Um, it's like, well, what does the military really do? Like, they train. They just constantly train. Um, so we're working right now on, on building a training pad for these guys, for the younger guys in the shop. We're going to put down some stone for those guys to get more buffer time. Cause you can't take a guy who has six months of experience and you know, he's doing a lot of cleanup work and he's running hoses and lines. You can't throw him on a buffer in somebody's expensive house cause you know, he's going to hit the wall or something. So you can't, you don't want to train on people's nice stuff. We need a training pad. We got to work through that and. Um, we've been working on some of that now, but we're going to build out the rest of the training pad pretty soon. Any other, um, traits or lessons you learned or, or characteristics that you've learned from the military that have kind of translated now to owning a business? Uh, cool under pressure. That's a big one. You can't freak out. Um, you know, granted there's times where you look at certain things, whether it's, you know, cash flows or you know, the legal stuff that we have going on. And there's a lot of stress. Yeah. It's been a pretty stressful eight months. It's also been super rewarding. Um, I, I think that some people would be more apt to freak out and just be like, this is too much. What I get myself into? I'm over my head. You just got to stand back and go, look, is this, is this problem? Over, the problem that we have over here, is there a solution for it? And they go, yeah, there's a solution. We just got to figure it out. You know, we got a lot, a lot of smart guys work for us. And they got a lot of experience. So, you know, we ask them, don't be afraid to lean on your employees and go, hey, what do you think we should do here? 
you know, we're thinking this. Are we right thinking this? Or do you think that's a little bit off? You know, you got a lot of talent there. Just tap it. You know, it takes a lot of humility to reach out to your employees and, and ask them for their advice, but I'm sure they feel a, a level of, of connection to yeah. you when, when you guys can both reach out to each other, basically, and ask for each other's help and advice. Yeah. And that's the difference between being a good boss and being just a boss. Like, yeah. you know, you can, we've all had those guys where, again, like I said, in the military, like, hey, I can optimize that. I can fix that. It won't cost you anything. And they're like, that's a dumb idea. Why would we do that? We've all worked for guys like that at some point. We're just like, man, I don't get it. It doesn't cost you anything. Right. Like, why don't we just get it? You know, why don't we try it? Yeah. Let's see if that works out better. For sure. Let's talk a bit more about Bakers and uh, all the services that you guys offer, what you guys do exactly. Yeah. So uh, interior, exterior work. Um, so, and the exterior works really just, you know, with all the pools, all the new development being done out here, patios going in. A lot of pool companies putting travertine pavers, limestone, all this stone is going outdoors. And sometimes not the best guidance on what needs to be done with it. Like, oh, it looks so pretty. Thank you for installing it. And then three years later, somebody's like, I paid 70000 for this pool and this patio. My patio looks really bad right now. And we're like, well, was it sealed? No, they just installed it. I'm like, yeah, well, this is a porous stone. It's outside. You know, are you hitting it with the water hose to wash it off? Oh, you are? Well, that's all hard water. It's calcium. It's getting into the stone, turning into lime. You know, UV doesn't help. Um, so all these factors of the environment of having stone outside. I mean, look at the Grand Canyon. That's, you know, water and stone just doesn't go great together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's, uh, that stuff's really exploding. And, you know, we want to come out and, and clean that stuff up for people and seal it. Um, but on the interior side, um, we're talking marble, granite, granite countertops. We do those. We do showers, um, your floors. So yeah, we have you know some jobs. It's just an interior job, just a floor, a travertine floor that needs to be. And there's different finishes. Yep. Maybe you want a satin finish. Maybe you want a light polish. Maybe you want a high polish. You want to walk on a mirror. You're like, hey, I got a big room with this window, and I just want to, I want to see that mirror finish. Um, so some of the options with the flooring, with our processes to get them where they need to be, to get those floors looking right. Um, so yeah, those jobs all vary. I have a guy that says, yeah, I want you to do my interior floor, and I have uh, brick pavers outside. Brick pavers? Well, oh, there's no maintenance on brick pavers. Of course there is. Like that stuff has to be sealed up too, because over eh, around seven years, they get hit with enough hard water and stuff, they start to break up too. They start to look kind of bad. And do you do maintenance programs like uh, for pool decks that uh, would have high use and such? We, we tell people, and again, the UV situation out here, um, you know, whatever sealer that you use, you'll, you'll see crazy stuff on TV with about sealers and Home Depot with these guarantees. And three years, three years what you're looking at. The UV and the conditions are going to break it down. It's going to need to be re clean and resealed in three years. Um, your interior, again, depends on your maintenance. Are you that person that takes a Swifter and gets the dirt off of it or make sure your animals aren't using it? Um, you know, high traffic areas, are you a high polish and walking through a high traffic area in the kitchen? Now you have a path, you know, about 13, 14 months in. So and it depends on the finish, you know, what you want. So we tell people, you know, typically 24 months on the interior. Um, again, how you maintain it. Kind of the same with the exterior. You know, some people would clean and seal the exterior and they just 
six months early it doesn't look good and you're like go out there and look at it and you're like yeah it's dirty like you still have to clean it off like it's not just magic like it's dusty out here so <laughs> and when you bought the company did you tweak with different products did you keep the same products that they were using for their sealers did you explore Talk so about that a bit. <laughs> we have our own sealer um our own proprietary sealer huh. our own enhancer which is really cool and that was one of the things when we bought the company, like, this is excellent. Um, it's not every day to get a chemical formula that you own. And something that's been used in the field as long as it has been, we're like, this is really good stuff. And there's always an option there to be like, hey, maybe we just, you know, spin that off and we, we sell that. Which we're working on that right now, too. We have a separate company that we've launched. Um, but um, we don't own the chemical formulas. Well, one of them. Well, two of them, actually. We're supposed to. We don't own them. So, uh, so it's, you mentioned in around the three-year mark, it's mm -hmm. time to kind of to go over that again. Mm -hmm. um, so do you typically see your clients come back to you after a couple of years, and do you have recurring clients every so often? Yeah. Um, based on the little bit of data that we have, again, that was a hard thing taking over the business, too, with the data. Like, yeah. if you're, everything's on paper, how are you supposed to take the last 10 years of paper and and make a chart out of that what it looks right. like where's my returning customers where's the crm the database for all that stuff um so based on what i can tell right now uh i would say about 30 percent of our workers return customers which is extremely high okay yeah it's really good did that have anything to do with um the name so did you keep the same name that it was before was that an intentional move because of the customer base or yeah that had a lot to do with it um the seo stuff online was pretty weak gotcha. there was no google advertising going on but there was a lot of print ads with the name um and again you know it's been around for 33 years yeah. so to me it, i felt like the brand was strong enough that you didn't want to come in and change it overnight mm -hmm. and then somebody like well who is this well i called bakers last time who are you guys yeah. Because even though we still get some of that where, you know, I want to talk to so-and-so, the old owner. And it's like, oh, well, he sold the business. Like, oh, you know, they get a little cautious. Like, yeah. hey, same crew, same processes, same chemicals, you know, we're doing everything the same way. And actually, it's better. Um, so, you know, just got to kind of explain to them, you know, yeah, they were retiring. So it's time for them to move on. And we took it over and just trying to make it better. You mentioned that a lot of people will get these nice finishes and they're not really educated on, you know, how to care for it mm -hmm. and, and how to handle it really. Um, is there anything that you guys are doing or any plans in the future to help, you know, educate people so they know what they have in their yard or in their house and, and the best way to, to treat it properly? Yeah. Um, and that's the big thing we're working on right now. We have some, uh, we have aftercare like pamphlets about like how to keep your stone nice. Um, so we're working on that stuff, putting those together right now. Um, but our guys do a really good job, our foreman and our estimator. Our estimator has the longest time in the company. He just came out of the field, which was a move that if you would ask maybe the previous owner or someone is, you can't do that. You can't lose him. It's, he's crucial to the company. I'm like, no, no. Again, that's why you have to develop guys. You got a lot of other really good guys too. This guy might have the most knowledge and is the best, but how good is he going to be for us as an estimator going out and making sure these bids are perfect and you know the way he writes it up preparing the guys who are going to be there in two or three weeks to actually put their hands on the floor now you don't have a disconnect of an estimator who's not doing the work this guy just came out of the field he gets it um so he's really good at the expectations for the customers as well 
you know, so if you have, you know, flooring, like we, you know, a lot, a lot of times, especially in this economy, people buying houses. Yeah. Like I've never had travertine before. I just bought this house two months ago and this, this floor look right to you. And I was like, no, this floor looks really dirty. Yeah. It hasn't been cared for. Um, so, you know, he does a great job of explaining what they have, you know, what it can look like and how to maintain it. And then again, when the crew comes out there and actually does the work, mm-hmm. Um, they get, you know, more reassurance that talking to another guy who is like the guy who actually did it today is saying, yeah, you know, oh yeah, that's what Miles was saying, you know, yeah, yeah. So it really helps. Yeah. Talk to us about the future and, and what your goals are for yourself personally and then for Bakers as well. Yeah. Goals, goals are a tough one. Um, you know, especially I got stuck in Afghanistan so long and, you know, making great money, have my house in Vegas, you know, was living, living pretty damn nice. Um, so especially when you do it, you know, I was 27 when I went to Iraq, 28 or so, 20, yeah, 28, 29 going into Afghanistan. And, um, you know, you hit a lot of, you know, what you put on goals as a kid or maybe a young adult, like, yeah, I want a nice house. I want to do this I want money in the bank. Then you hit that stuff kind of early. You're like, oh, and I have a college degree. So what? What do I do now? You know. So you, reestablishing goals is is important because I feel I've said this to a lot of people. I feel like in high school and growing up, and even in college, people tell you, "Got to work hard." You know, set these goals and keep working towards them. Nobody ever tells you what to do after you reach your goals. There's no like. Hey, I made it to that first level that so many people work a really long time to get to. What do I do now? Now what? You know, idle hands, like, because that's dangerous too. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's important. So, I'm actually, this last few days was kind of, you know, laid up in, um, after my stem cell treatment, my knees laid up uh, in a suite in Vegas. I was sitting there looking at the business and thinking about the future. Like I said, the products company, that that's what we're really working towards now is, you know, how do we take these uh, these great products that we have that we use that are proprietary to us and maybe not sell them here to our competitors or maybe do. Maybe take them to Texas, take them to Florida, take them to different places. And, um, you know, there's a lot of tile stores out there and there's a lot of, there's a lot of huge companies, DuPont, you know, these massive companies that sell sealer. And um, the margins, you know, they, this, that stuff's really expensive. Mm-hmm. Go to Home Depot and take a look at sealer and, you know, you'll see like, like a solvent-based sealer, it's like $53 a quart. Yep. And you're like, wow, that's, uh, you know, could we, could we bring something to the marketplace that's just as good at a better price? I think we can. So that's one of the goals going into the future with this is um, to work that side of it, develop our younger guys, grow the company. I'd love to see, you know, a couple more trucks come in, a couple more crews, um, really lock down the marketing to capture that bigger audience because like I mentioned before, it's a niche industry, a niche business. There's, you know, we have some pet competitors here in town. Um, but if you look at how many homes are here and how many square foot of stone, there's not a stone cleaning companies to handle all of it. Um, and a lot, and again, a lot of people don't even know. They're walking out every day and they don't know that it should probably be cleaned or this needs to be sealed in the backyard. Um, so, it's, you know, getting that awareness out there. So I would say, yeah, marketing, marketing, training, growing, expanding. That's kind of the goal. Awesome. I love what you shared about, you know, personal goals and uh, what, what's next after you kind of reach your first set of goals. <laughs> yeah. uh, but would love to hear if, you know, any advice you'd have for someone who may be um, 
did reach those goals, maybe had some success earlier than they thought they would, and they're mm-hmm. kind of idle, like you said. Like, what, what's next? What do you kind of do to, to figure out what the next steps are? Yeah, I would say um, sometimes the best solution um, or the best decision is doing nothing because um, some people feel like they have to be doing something. And I can equate that to personally myself being gone in war zones where it's 12 hours a day, seven days a week, sometimes more, about 16 hours a day. Um, it's really weird coming back to the States where, well, even a small business owner, 55 hours, I'm still reduced way down from where I was at. I have this downtime and it's like, well, maybe I should go get involved in this or maybe <laughs> I should go do this. Like, you know what? Sometimes you just chill, give some really good thought, sleep on it sleep on it for a month and then return to it um that, that would be my advice just take your time figure out what you really want to do um because it's not always about just making money right everybody wants to make money you want to have a business that's successful that's good and you get there but you know sometimes enough is enough you know if your, your company might your company might hit your goal where you want to be in life and you're comfortable well then take care of your guys and make sure that company is tight you know, before you jump off and do something else, just make sure this thing is really the best it can be. Because really, there's might some people jump off the next thing, and there's a lot of work to still be done too. So, yeah, I love that advice. I think we could all listen to that a couple times over and and learn a few things from it. Um, especially with owning your own business, there's you. It's just so easy to always be working, and you're not always doing something you know super productive for the business. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're just used to working, 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 and filling up any free time with work, yeah, um, it's it's not always the most productive thing to do. So maybe taking some time to to think on your next moves, or, yeah. or even just doing nothing or, or doing stuff for yourself, um, doesn't always have to be you know financially driven. Um, can mm-hmm. really benefit you in life, and also in turn benefit the business. Yeah, probably. well, go back to listening to your guys. Maybe you have these ideas and you got these idle hands and you're at home like, I'm going to jump into this. But yeah. you know what? I'll go and uh, I'll ask them tomorrow what they feel about this. And now I've asked them with some additional services that are, you know, I will not technically in the stone cleaning part, but it's stuff that with a little bit of training and add on stuff, we could also provide this. And um, with our guys, you know, like I, I talked about the satisfaction of like seeing a floor come to life and, and this type of work. Yeah. Um, it's got an artisan feel to it. And these guys are kind of like artists in their own way. Cause they get these processes where not many people know how to do this type of work. So if you bring them something, you don't want to bring them something like, I don't know, just something that anybody could off the street within like a couple of days of training could do. You want to give them something like, um, you know, like epoxy, like putting out an epoxy on a floor, like a metallic epoxy. It has its own like squirrels to it and designs and like, yeah, I could do this, make it look a little bit nicer. And, you want to give them some kind of an out, artistic outlet. I think a lot of the guys like really appreciate that stuff. So Awesome. I love all the advice that you shared, Cole, with us. If you had maybe like one last piece of advice for our listeners today, what would it be? Um, there's, uh, there's two important things that I think, especially going into business for yourself, that um, you really have to understand two concepts. And that's why they're tattooed on my knuckles. So it's luck and risk. And the first one's luck. People think of luck as good fortune, you know? Oh man, Cole's over there with his own businesses. So lucky. Like, and to see the, all the time overseas, all the other stuff that happened. Luck is a convergence of preparation and opportunity. So you're prepared and you might knock on a 99 doors and just no, 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 no. And then boom, that right door opens and your whole life changes. 
And then the people go, oh, he's lucky. I'm like, yeah, that was luck, but it was preparation opportunity. So that's the first part of it. The other part would be risk. And that's, I think that's the hard one for people to swallow because it's hard to be in your 30s or in your 40s and taking a whole career and just going, and I'm done with that. I'm going to go do this thing over here. I don't know. You know, a lot of people can't. They have like families and they have kids and financial obligations. But even if you have that stuff with the right planning, I think you can do it. Um, but you can't be afraid to take the risk. You know, if you're, if you're someone that's, you know, averagely successful in your life, you have a career and you take a risk and you fail, you can go back and do that again. It's there for you. As long as you didn't burn bridges and people know you're a good person and you can do your job, you can go back to that. There's no shame. Then you know you tried. And you'll get the lessons out of that failure too. So, yeah, I would just say, um, yeah, anybody thinking about going forward, just understand what luck really is and understand you're going to have to take risks. You're going to have to, have to sacrifice. You know, you might have to have to sell your car, sell your house, relocate, do that kind of stuff. But if you, if you really want to make a change, you know, sacrifice is worth it. I'm really glad I asked that question because I loved your answer to that. Um, I won't add anything to it because I think you said it perfectly, but just understanding what luck really is um, is huge for yourself and for how you view other people mm -hmm. as well. So thanks and for And your context that. of risk, very powerful. Yeah. Sweet. Well, Cole, before we get closing up here, we have a quick game we're going to play with you. Okay. Um, so how it works is we've got a list of 20 questions that okay. we're going to ask you, and you've got a minute to answer as many Ooh. of them as you can. Fast. So. Okay. And we'll see how you square up against other guests that we've had on the show. All right. So just get that pulled up. And you got it? Okay. We'll go ahead and start in three, two, one. Your dream vacation. Argentina. First thing you'd buy if you won a million dollars. McLaren. Favorite hobby. Off-roading. If there was an Olympic competition for everyday activities, what activity would you have a good chance at winning a medal in? For everyday activities? Yeah. Um, business. A song you've been jamming to lately? Uh, Security by Amel and the Sniffers. If you lived to be 100, would you rather have the mind or the body of your prime self? Body. Favorite holiday? Fourth of July. Favorite ice cream flavor? Vanilla. Favorite fictional character? Tyler Durden. Favorite smell? Vanilla. What's your nickname? I don't have one. Pet peeve? Laziness. Favorite restaurant? Uh, Tacos Tijuana. If you could switch places with someone for a day, who would it be? Kanye. And there's our, <laughs> there's our timer. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see the Business Olympics. That would be <laughs> the Business Olympics, right? <laughs> and Argentina. Yeah. What's your connection with Argentina? Um, you know, I've been uh, I've been to 15 countries. Um, I've never stepped foot on the African continent, and I've never been on the South American continent. Um, the farthest south I've been from here is Costa Rica, and I think uh, I had a friend that went to Patagonia, and mm -hmm. so it was pretty awesome. So, in Argentina, is one of those places um, we're getting in there in the cities. You know, the the European influence that came over to South America. So it's you know it's Latin, but it's, it's a little bit different. It's got that European flair to the architecture. Um, so I think I would like to get to that side of the world. Check it out. It's beautiful. You'll love it. Oh, you been? Yeah. Oh, where'd you go? Uh, Buenos Aires and Cordoba. Oh, nice. Yeah. Any uh, recommendations? 
uh, go hungry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. the beef, right? Yeah, you'll love the steak, the yeah. milanese, the lomitos, guy, so. uh, the, the pastries, the facturas there. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, the people are amazing. Yeah, and the architecture is like, you feel like you're in Europe, but it's got the the uh, Latam flair. So Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's definitely high on my list. I think that's, that's my number one right now. Um, and then maybe, maybe on the way back up, maybe uh, Colombia on mm-hmm. the way out. So that'd be cool. Cool, cool. Uh, Cole, take a second and let our audience know where they can find out more about you um, and talk to Bakers if they want to yeah, get some Travertine um, work done. TravertinePowerClean.com is our website. Uh, you can search for us on Google, on Google Ads. We're highly rated. You'll see uh, five stars or 4.9. Um, Bakers Travertine Power Clean. Uh, phone number is 480-743-2059. And um, you'll, you'll probably see our trucks on the road. We've got some new graphics going on. One new trailer getting ready to put graphics on it. And uh, they stand out pretty well. Awesome. Um, and I have a little special offer for our listeners if you want to share that as well. Yeah, if you uh, if you mention this podcast, uh, we'll give you 5% off your job for sure. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks again for coming on today. Uh, it's thanks been a pleasure getting yeah, to know it's you. It's been really cool, man. I, I appreciate the opportunity. For sure. Thanks, Cole. Cool. We'll catch you all next week. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Just a few things before we go. First off, if you or someone you know is an entrepreneur in the East Valley, we'd love to have you on the show. Please get in touch with us by emailing us at localhustlerspodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at localhustlerspodcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for the latest news and updates. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please take a few seconds to rate and review and hit that subscribe button. It lets us know how we're doing and helps us grow so we can reach more locals, entrepreneurs, and help small businesses grow. Thanks, guys.